science wasn't always science. Back in the day, when we still called it natural philosophy, it was all pretty loose. People would look closely at stuff, read a few alchemical manuscripts, and then just kind of make things up. Lots of natural philosophers were self-taught, and back then you could be kind of a dabbler, a folk scientist, someone just putting out science singles and seeing what hit. This, of course, meant that lots of natural philosophers and alchemists made their careers promoting things that were utterly incorrect. This still happens a bit today, too, for sure. But over time, we got a little bit better at error correction. And using systems like replication, being open about how the experiments work, and peer review. It all helped make science about what we could test and prove, rather than just a stab in the dark. But it also got harder to be a kind of scientific riffer. Just a person with some neat ideas about what was up with reality. But that doesn't mean the riffers went away entirely. Larry Spring was that kind of guy. He didn't have any formal training, but he definitely did have ideas about what might be going on with physics. He also thought the whole field was being made way too complicated with all sorts of unnecessary crazy math. No thanks. So he opened his own physics school, and he jumped at the chance to share his theories. He made all of these um, demonstration models to demonstrate basic physics and his theories. And he would hold classes in here where like, he would beckon people from the front door to come in that were three hours long. And um, if you interrupted him, he would often start over again. You know, I will admit I'm one of those people. So with Larry, there was a real compulsion to make the invisible visible, so to speak. Larry Spring passed away in 2009, but his school of common sense physics was turned into a museum. But what do you do with a science museum where the science is kind of folk art, where the brilliance shines bright, but the knowledge shared is maybe not quite right? I'm Dylan Thuris, and this is Atlas Obscura, a celebration of the world's strange, incredible, and wondrous places. Today, we go to Fort Bragg, California, to see the Museum of Common Sense Physics, an homage to a truly curious man. More after this. If you're looking for a place where the wide open skies and the towering mountains inspire you to find an untapped part of yourself, you might want to take a trip to Wyoming. It's a place where bold, curious spirits forge their own way on all types of adventures. There is no shortage of iconic, expansive landscapes out there. You can discover breathtaking hikes, stunning state parks, authentic Western culture, and other historic sites— along with the tales of famous outlaws like Butch Cassidy and pioneers like Buffalo Bill Cody. The truth lies west. Discover yours at TravelWyoming.com. 
The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Growing up, Larry Spring was always good at making stuff. Larry grew up in the 1920s and used to build crystal radios using oatmeal boxes, wire coils, and Galena crystals so that he could tune into the radio signals coming from San Francisco. He lived for tinkering and experimentation. Years later, Larry flew cargo planes during World War II. But even the war didn't stop his desire to experiment. Larry was known for conducting his own tests outside the windows of his plane. He even wrote a poem about them. I tested streamlining to determine air drag, and among the rest, at 180 miles an hour winds, a teardrop shape was the best. A parachute shape had the most resistance, of course. The ratio turned out to be 10 to 1, which is good for jet engines to apply force. Ever the experimenter and tinkerer. After the war, Larry opened up his own TV repair shop. After a while, he sort of layered his other hobbies in the shop. So there were all these little carvings that he did um, out of like found pieces of uh, forest and beach uh, bits and bobs that he would create animals with. He would put paintings in the television shop too. So he sort of museumified the place like on his own, you know, during the 50s. This is Anne Marine. I'm the director of the Larry Spring Museum of Common Sense Physics. Aside from these hobbies, Larry's real passion was for physics. And as I said before, he was not a physicist by education. But he did spend a lot of time thinking about physics and tinkering with the tools in his TV shop. Which kind of makes sense, because every single cathode ray television set that he was fixing was, in fact, also its own tiny particle accelerator. So while he fixed TVs, he also experimented. And these were not small experiments. Using TV transmission, Larry said he confirmed the speed of light. He claimed to have developed a new and more accurate model for the atom. And then using that model, simplified the periodic table. And he also had a passion for sharing these new and strange ideas. In the early 80s, he opened up his very own school of physics, which he called the School of Common Sense Physics. See, Larry thought that those academic types, that they were making physics needlessly complicated, just too hard for normal people to understand. But his research was simpler, that his way of explaining physics was easier for normal people to understand. Here is another quote from Larry. Isaac Newton supplies a solid foundation. Einstein's theories stir the imagination. Maxwell's equations are for engineering. Spring's observations are for understanding. Newton, Einstein, Maxwell. And then, of course, Larry Spring. 
Here's the thing about Larry's observations about energy and physics. Because he was working alone without training, he was totally outside the modern scientific system. There was no one examining his ideas, pushing back, trying to replicate his methods. He was a true science outsider. At a time when the very definition of science was about your ideas being replicable by your scientific community. And in truth, the little feedback Larry did get was definitely a mixed bag. I have some archives where Larry had a correspondence with a physicist from Berkeley where the physicist said, yeah, some of the stuff was right, but other stuff um, was not. But Larry was undeterred. His deepest passion remained for trying to translate complex ideas from physics into understandable demonstrations for people, to communicate what he loved about searching for these deep truths in physics while tinkering in his TV repair shop. So he wrote these theories into books with this in mind. A lot of the chapters start with, I, Larry Spring, like in capital letters. And then there's this whole like sort of folksy take on physics. I mean, it's not, um, they're not particularly clear, but they're kind of fun to read. He, he would send those to libraries and universities across the states and some in Canada as well, uh, along with a check for $5 to cover the administration of them being included in the library. After a little over two decades of running the School of Common Sense Physics, sharing these theories, Larry Spring passed away in 2009 at the age of 94. And the school became the Museum of Common Sense Physics. If you go to the museum today, you will see a lot of Larry's handmade demonstration models, his explanations of them, and the theories that he says they prove. I can't really truthfully tell you one way or the other whether any of what Larry Spring had to say is true. No one's really engaged with it. Probably it's not quite right. And the thing about having a folksy take on physics is that it's, it's no problem to have a folksy take on music or art. But when you've got a folksy take on physics, sometimes your lasers explode. But all these big, wild, complicated ideas were also made by one guy using his curiosity and his TV repair shop, which Anne says is kind of the point of the museum. I think when people walk in, uh, they're attracted to different things in the museum. So some people are here for the physics. Other people are here for the little sculptural objects that Larry made. And others are just sort of apprehended as kind of a curiosity cabinet. So I don't um, present Larry's theories as true or not true. I think people can make their own judgments around that. And I also think having a little bit of mystery is um, also attractive. More than a museum of physics, the Museum of Common Sense Physics is about one man's willingness to follow his own curiosity, fiercely, independently, mistakenly, for his whole life. I think the fact that Larry dedicated himself to pursuing this form of knowledge is enough, you know, and to, to go deep into the physics part of it is not really um, my intention nor my area of expertise, quite honestly. 
For me, it is uh, the doctrine of curiosity. So um, Larry was definitely into the power of observation and um, that played out in uh, everything that he did. I would say that that's a comment that a lot of people make, um, that they're really um, in awe of his curiosity and his sense of wonder. Call it art, call it folk physics, call it natural philosophy. It didn't matter to Larry. He was going to do it anyway. Our podcast is a co-production of Atlas Obscura and Witness Docs. This episode was produced by Baudelaire Seuss. The production team includes Doug Baldinger, Chris Naka, Camille Stanley, Willis Ryder Arnold, Manolo Morales, Sarah Wyman, Tracy Samuelson, John Delore, Casey Holford. This episode was sound designed and mixed by Luce Fleming. And our theme and end credit music is by Sam Tyndall. I'm Dylan Thuris, wishing you all the wonder in the world. I will see you next time. Witness Docs from Stitcher. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. Hi, I'm Willa Paskin, the host of Decoder Ring, Slate's podcast about cracking cultural mysteries. On Decoder Ring, we dive down rabbit holes and obsessively explore questions hiding in plain sight. Like, why has slow dancing gone out of style? And when did we all become obsessed with hydration? And where did the word mullet, you know, to describe a hairstyle, come from? That's Decoder Ring, named one of the best podcasts of 2023 by The New York Times. Listen to new episodes every two weeks and make sure to follow us so you never miss one.